Welcome everyone to the Score Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host Justin Boone, the lead fantasy analyst at the Score, and today's episode is presented by Head and Shoulders, offense for great hair, defense against flakes. On today's show, we're previewing week 11, just six weeks left in the fantasy season, and we got an old friend joining us for this one, Patrick Darty of Roto World. You might know him as Roto Pat, one of our favorite guests every year, and I don't want to waste any time off the top here. We're bringing him right in. Pat, welcome back to the show, and congrats again. I mean, I congratulated you on Twitter, but congrats again on having a baby a couple months ago in one of the strangest years that you could possibly do that. Yeah, you know, bringing a child into the world in 2020 uh, was a very interesting experience for sure. Um, but yeah, we talked about doing the podcast early in the season. I, it was right when my baby was born, but you know, now it's been over two months and I've just mastered having three children. Like, so I've already beat, <laughs> I've already beaten the game. And so yeah, now, you know, I just have all the time in the world to do podcasts and stuff again. So it's great. But no, uh, yeah, thank you for the congrats. And yeah, 2020, uh, yeah, having the kid, it was, yeah, you know, quite an experience. Well, and some would say not just bad timing on the year, but bad timing having a child at the beginning of the NFL season, man. Come on, what are you doing there? <laughs> a lot of people made that comment to me, and my retort is the first two were too perfectly timed. I had one, my first, my daughter in late May, and then my son in early July. And uh, so, I mean, the first two, you know, I hit the bullseye, and uh, I was just too good with the first two. And the third, yeah, I was born quite literally days before week one. Um, so it was a uh, challenging beginning to the season. All right, well, let's use the timing thing as a segue here because some people might think that it's bad timing for Drew Brees to get hurt. How about that segue? So we're heading into the final stretch of the regular season here. Brees is now going to be out. We don't really know, right? Like some of the reports said two weeks. Some of the reports said that he might not be back until the playoffs. So that makes it sound like it's going to be way more than two weeks. But the Saints have been prepared for this. They were prepared for it last year. They signed Teddy Bridgewater. And people forget, but... Teddy was a low-end QB1 during those five games that Breeze missed, and I know a lot of it was one big game, but still, he put up some okay fantasy numbers during that time, and it helped him get that big contract in the offseason with the Panthers, and then when he left, the Saints inked Taysom Hill to decent backup money, and they talked him up as the potential successor to Breeze, but then when Jameis Winston couldn't find any suitors on the free agent market, man somehow the Saints signed him for basically nothing, right? So they were very ready for this. If their 41-year-old quarterback went down, they had two options really to throw in there. Now that he's out, I think it's going to be Jameis as the likely starter with maybe a heavier dose of Taysom Hill over the next few weeks here. And I brought up the timing thing because schedule-wise, it couldn't be better, right? Like I talked about it on Monday's show, but the Saints get the Falcons, the Broncos, and then the Falcons again over the next three games. Falcons are giving up the most fantasy points to opposing quarterbacks. Broncos are a little bit better, but that Denver defense has just been rolled over the last three weeks here. Are we going to see Jameis actually jumpstart his career in the Saints offense kind of the same way that Teddy did last year? I mean, that is like the fantasy question of week 11, isn't it? Like, I, because like, this is like, I mean, like every DFS lineup hinges on this question. Uh, so many redraft. I mean, how rare is it, but in redraft, to this time of year to get basically a plug and play QB1? Maybe a lot of people will be ranking Jameis Winston as a QB2, but at least I'm starting the week off with Jameis Winston as a plug and play QB1. And like, this, that is like so rare. Um, at the quarterback position, especially this time of year. And is this the question, like, are we going to get Bucks, Jameis? Which I don't think we are, you know. 
because um, Sean Payton's one of the efficiency masters. I mean, this offense is like one of the most well-timed, well-run in the NFL. I mean, Drew Brees, like he, you were talking about a guy who stays in rhythm, keeps his offense in rhythm. And then Jameis Winston, the guy uh, who does not do that. <laughs> so it's going to be like a, an odd fit in that regard. But I mean, you are who you are, obviously, as a quarterback. And he's got a pretty good supporting cast still. And like you said, a Falcons team a lot that allows the most fantasy court, uh, most fantasy points to quarterbacks in the league. Um, just even if we get a more reined in Jameis Winston, I think there's going to be enough of like the real Jameis quote unquote to at least be a top 12. And frankly, I've got him as the QB eight right now. That is truly preliminary. I originally had him as the QB six and I'm like, this is ridiculous. <laughs> like, uh, like I'm just, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm basically ranking him as if he's still bucks Jameis. But then I can only put him down to QB8. I'm, I'm honestly trying to get lower, but I just the weapons are still good. The matchup is amazing. And that even if they want to keep Jameis Winston inside structure more, uh, there's only that, that was only so successful like once the game starts, you know, and the Jamising uh, takes over. So but to me, this is one of the most fascinating rankings at any position all season because I feel like we just don't, especially, especially with the Taysom Hill aspect, like you said, uh, I feel like we this could go just like any number of ways. Yeah, I also have him as a low-end QB1, and I think one of the underrated things you kind of touched on there, and it's the reason that Teddy was able to do okay, was that supporting cast. Not just the skill position players, the offensive line, the coaches, like everyone around him. It's like the perfect setup for any quarterback to fall into. So yeah, we don't exactly know which version of Jameis we're getting, and we can't really base it on. It was a very, very small sample size in that last game, and he didn't really look that great when he came in. But with a week of prep and with a really easy matchup, yeah, I have him in that low-end QB1 range. And when we keep talking about timing here, I mean, I have a dynasty team, Superflex. It's actually the Fantasy Pros Dynasty League. A lot of big names in that. Sean Kerner, Mike Taglier, lots of guys. And I've been struggling at my quarterback too this year. I had Gardner Minshew who went down. I traded basically nothing to get Nick Foles. And now he got hurt and he's on by this you week. You just left it blank. Uh, and no, I had Jameis. <laughs> Last year I had Jameis and I had him just sitting on my bench. And now at the perfect time when Foles goes on by, when Minshew's out, and now Jameis is going to be able to step in. So that's why I feel like I'm a little biased that I really want him to be a quarterback one, which is what he was for me last year when he was with the Bucks. But on that same team, actually, I also have Michael Thomas. And Michael Thomas has been pretty disappointing this year, obviously, for anybody that's been following, right? We've only gotten three games from him because of the injuries and because of that weird one-game team-imposed benching that he had. But in these three games, I mean... Three for 17 in the opener, and he played most of that game before he got hurt. And then he missed a bunch of time, and he came back and had five for 51 in week nine, which was okay. And he only played 55% of the snaps in that game. Maybe that was partially due to the injury and coming back from it. Maybe it was also because they just destroyed the Bucks in that game. And then last week, two for 27 on seven targets. So really three games. You could say that one game, the five for 51, you were happy with, I guess, but really three games where you probably wish he wasn't even in your lineup. And I expected that dip in production this year from him. I, Alvin Kamara was going to be healthy this year. Emmanuel Sanders got added to the mix, but obviously we didn't see this coming with the injuries and the ineffective play. And now I think fantasy managers are right to be worried about him the rest of the season. Not that he's going to completely fall off, but that that ceiling might be lowered now. Do you think we're going to see Thomas get back into even 
the top 10 fantasy receivers? Or do you think that ship's just sailed in 2020? It's a very good question. And, you know, this isn't normally the way you draw it up. A high ankle sprain followed by a hamstring injury. Uh, Not really how you would draw it up if you were a wide receiver. Um, But in some ways, this might be too galaxy brain of a take. I almost viewed the hamstring injury as a positive because, like, teams are so addicted to rushing players back after high ankle sprains. I'm like, well, the the hamstring injury, you know, forcing them to give him extra rest. And now he'll actually be 100% recovered from his high ankle sprain. And, again, that's probably just truly a galaxy brain take. But I will say we've got a few alibis here. So I played one game, you know, that wasn't against the Bucs. Even though in the second game, it's not like they got shut down by the Bucs defense. But, you know, two of his three games have been against one of the best defenses in the NFL. Uh, You know, last week he loses his quarterback midway through the game. Uh, So I feel like those are somewhat convincing alibis. He did get up to seven targets last week. Um, uh, But it's maybe there's just been too many injuries, but I think it's going to be too late for a lot of people that, by the way, I mean, Michael Thomas, I expected the regression too, but when I saw Michael Thomas available, like, number seven through 10, kind of like in first rounds this year, I was like, Oh, give me Michael Thomas. This is people are baking in too much regression. I'll do this 10 times out of 10. Uh, It's probably too late for a lot of people that had that mindset, but I do think we will finally, it will kind of get some better late than never Michael Thomas production down the stretch. Cause he's just too good. He's still too important to the offense. And I'm hoping he's far enough away from that high ankle sprain. Well, we have to say too, right? Like you kind of mentioning it there. Thomas is a kind of player who could come out. He could put up 10 catches, 150 yards this week, and then all's forgiven. And now we're really excited about him and Jameis together, right? Like that possibility still exists. He could definitely still turn it around. Are there any other players that you can think of that kind of fit that bill that have disappointed so far this year, but who you expect could turn it around here down the stretch? I mean, does Miles Sanders count? Because I feel like I don't have any specific reason to expect it from Miles Sanders, but he's been just right on the doorstep. Like he keeps making big plays in the running game. He's had some, a few nice big plays in the passing game. His usage just seems to continually be kind of strange, but I mean, we could have had such a different outcome from Miles Sanders in week 10 if you know, Boston Scott gets four touches and he scores a touchdown on one of them. And Corey <laughs> Clement gets one touch and he scores a touchdown on it. Just you know, insanely bad touchdown luck. Um, I feel like Miles Sanders, not that he's even like fully disappointed people. You know, he's he's just been like a little bit below projection, I would say, when he wasn't healthy, but he seems like someone who can maybe just explode down the stretch to me. Um I feel like I didn't have great answers to this, but I mean, maybe Jarvis Landry, who, um, you know, the past two Browns games have essentially been in a hurricane off of Lake <laughs> Erie. So that hasn't helped. And you know, talk about one of the ultimate compilers, now the number one receiver for an offense, you know, that lost its alpha and Odell Beckham. And, you know, is going to want to remain conservative in the passing game. He's someone you can have great success doing that with. Um, you know, maybe Michael Pittman. That might be a bit of a cheating answer, too, because not like people had super high expectations for Michael Pittman. But, you know, he was like a rookie we were excited about and, like, thought was a good fit with Philip Rivers' skill set. But then he was hurt. Didn't happen. But, you know, and when they really needed a big receiving game, he provided one last week. So those are all guys that come to mind. Hopefully Dallas Goddard, too, uh, joining Miles Sanders, who's been very disappointing since coming off IR, but someone the Eagles need so badly for targets. Um, so I feel like I didn't have any, like, super like crowd-pleasing answers there, but those were all people that came to mind for me. Well, if you want to talk about teammates there with Goddard and Sanders, what if you talk about teammates with Pittman and Jonathan Taylor? 
Think any chance that Jonathan Taylor could turn this around? I don't know. It's almost like, uh, it's just like maybe he's just not quite ready for the, a guy who, you know, we, we knew all about the home run potential, but not someone who would ever be like, uh, accused of being like the most explosive, like side to side. And maybe his like NFL body just like, isn't ready. Maybe, I don't know. I mean, I'm just kind of grasping at straws with Jonathan Taylor, but maybe just someone who still a very talented guy, but just, especially in with the, the COVID off season and getting, you know, no summer conditioning, no summer, maybe just like he, that's been kind of my theory. Maybe he's just like, not, not that he's out of shape or anything. I'm sure he's in amazing shape, but maybe he's just like, not, like the body he needs to be right now for NFL success. And hopefully he's gaining like the knowledge he needs. Cause he, you know, he's such a home run hitter, like a guy who can score 70, 80 yard touchdowns once he gets loose. But that, that's been my theory on Jonathan Taylor. Just like, wasn't quite ready for prime time. And a guy who could have probably really, really benefited from a normal off season and preseason. Well, their schedule is so good for that rushing attack down the stretch that I feel like there is still a chance that he could come through if he starts. I mean, they get the Packers this week, right? Like everyone's been able to run on the Packers. I think if he comes out early in that game, we could see him get something going and then he could be the hot hand for once, which we really haven't seen happen this year. If you want to talk about good schedules and guys who could turn it around here still, I mean, the Ravens from week 13 on, they get Dallas, Cleveland, Jacksonville, and the Giants. I think we're going to see better days from that passing attack down the stretch. And with Nick Boyle out for the year, I'd be trying to buy Mark Andrews. If your trade deadline hasn't passed yet, I mean, Andrews' usage went up last week. He saw season highs in that game with Boyle going down. And I think it's kind of in the same vein than this next one as Michael Thomas. We had Kenny Galladay pop back up at Lions practice today. He's another guy that is kind of disappointed due to injury. Now, whether you want to say, like you said with Sanders, like, is it a real disappointment when a guy's been hurt, you know, or is it just that he was out of the lineup and he's been good when he's been in there? Because Galladay really has played well when he's been out there and you have to have Matthew Stafford healthy if Galladay's going to come through and Stafford's banged up now. He's got a partial tear in his thumb on his throwing hand. So no guarantees he's going to even play this week, but if those two are healthy down the stretch, I think we could see them both put up pretty solid numbers because Stafford goes from being a borderline QB1 when Galladay's in there all the way down to that QB2, pretty much unusable range when Galladay's not in the lineup. What about the Cowboys? I mean, you think they can get into this category? They're coming off their bye. Andy Dalton back healthy. Maybe Zach Martin back with that offensive line that is just completely banged up. Do you have any hope for Dallas that they could figure things out starting this week with the Vikings? I mean, it's going to be famous last words, but yes, I do. Uh, <laughs> Andy Dalton, known for a lot of things. Uh, but, you know, he was not known, he, he wasn't known as a guy who didn't get your numbers. Like Andy Dalton, despite all of his limitations, despite all of his frustrations, uh, you know, the Andy Dalton's supporting cast, they usually got their fantasy numbers. And you know, he's never had a supporting cast anywhere near this level. You know, he got thrust in under such bad circumstances uh, earlier this season. And he's, he's not coming back off a great circuit. I mean, having a concussion followed up by COVID-19, uh, again, not really how you would draw it up. Um, but this supporting cast, I mean, just like, I just feel like he cannot let the supporting cast go to, like, they will not let each other go to waste, basically. You have Amari Cooper who can make big plays both inside and outside. You have CeeDee Lamb who can do the same thing, but will be, you know, mostly in the slot. You have Michael Gallup is one of the best outside role players in the entire NFL. You have Dalton Schultz and still Ezekiel Elliott are as competent like check down targets. And 
I do think we'll see better football from Andy Dalton than we briefly saw after Dak Prescott's injury. And uh, yeah, I think we'll see just kind of, they're not going to obviously rebound to the Dak level, but I think down the stretch, these Cowboys are going to be usable in fantasy. And I don't know how I didn't notice this before this week, but I'm sure other people have brought this up, but week 14, first week of the fantasy playoffs, the Andy Dalton revenge game in Cincinnati, right? So we can get hyped for that. I think in that one, we'll maybe feel a little more confident starting everybody in that Cowboys offense. I did not it's know tough, that. though. That's like ultimate revenge game territory right there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, when you have three receivers like he has, I mean, it's hard for any offense to keep three guys going for fantasy, right? Even to keep two guys going for fantasy can be really difficult. Yeah, when Dak was out there, they were basically making that happen. But you look at some of the other offenses around the league. I mean, I can think of the Steelers, right? Like Ben, as much as he's not taken as many shots downfield this year, Ben has been able to kind of support these three receivers. They're throwing quite a bit, almost to the detriment of their running game, right? They basically just decided that those three receivers can get it done and on any given play, one of them is probably going to be open and Ben's going to find them. But I've had such a hard time ranking them. I mean, Deontay Johnson, Chase Claypool, Juju Smith-Schuster, they've all been producing double-digit targets for all three of them last week. And I had them all kind of bunched together as wide receiver twos at my rankings. I've done the same thing this week. I don't know about you, but do you think that there's a clear order that we could look at them the rest of the season? Do you think it depends on matchup? This week, they get the Jag, so... It's another one where they're likely going to be able to put up some big numbers there, and they're likely going to have to be pretty high in our rankings. Yeah, I mean, this is getting kind of Peyton Manning-y, like Broncos era, like three top 24 receivers, like extremely hard for anyone to pull off. And yeah, by the way, Andy Dalton's not going to... Michael Gallup, unfortunately, is faded from relevance. And Dalton Schultz, just like a tight end to kind of like you pray for floor play, but... I mean, I think the Steelers, like you said, they're not even really running the ball anymore. James Conner hasn't reached 50 yards rushing in any of his past three games, and two of those were very, very good matchups. And all can all three Steelers be top 24 every week? I mean, it's tough to say, but, I mean, this is the second week in a row where I've basically done it. Um, I think Deontay Johnson is the quote-unquote clear-cut top option. I mean, I'm saying quote-unquote because I mean, I'm still basically just guessing, but – you said they all got 10 targets last week. Basically, if Deontay Johnson manages to play a game to completion, he gets 10 targets no matter yeah. what. And uh, they want it, you know, they've been using him. It's weird because we think of him as like a deep, like a, a big play type specialist. But he's been used basically all underneath this year, but they were talking about wanting to get the deep ball going. And he finally caught a 46 yard pass last week, a, a genuine deep ball down the left sideline, his longest gain of the season. And uh, I just think Deontay with that versatile skill set and for whatever reason, the highest targets floor, I'll rank him the highest. Uh, Juju has like a very similar targets floor, but you know, just bizarre with the, like the non-existent ceiling this year, which is why I think I'm comfortable ranking him as the third, but like I said, still top 24, but like Chase Claypool is kind of splitting the difference because I mean, he's had good usage most of these weeks, like you said, but even the weeks where he only touches the ball five or six times, I mean, he's like the classic or he can flip a fantasy matchup like on a two-catch day because he can have two catches for like 77 yards and a touchdown. Or he can have two catches for 40 yards, but he gets a rushing touchdown. He had another goal line carry last week. He didn't cash it in. But, uh, yeah, I, th- I mean, I, for right now, for the foreseeable future, I mean, the buys end soon, so maybe it'll, there'll be too many bodies out there. But all three of these guys do feel like weekly top 24 options to me. 
What about the same question, but for the Bucks receivers? And I don't know if you want to add in like the latest off-field stuff about Antonio Brown and whether that's going to impact anything down the stretch here, but is there a clear order that you're looking at those guys, not just this week, but maybe for the rest of the season? Because this week they got to deal with the Rams pass defense and the Rams pass defense has looked fantastic. I mean, they just shut down Russ and the Seahawks, so definitely not the best matchup here, but how are you approaching those three Bucks receivers? Yeah, it's weird because I feel like we can just never, ever get clarity and with this Bucks situation where even before Antonio Brown, they were like never healthy at the same time. Chris Godwin and Mike Evans, and it was extremely hard to game out like where the targets were going to consistently go. And you know now you have, like talk about a variable, throwing in the best receiver of his generation into this receiver core. But, you know, then having only played one game in the past two years before last week, so it's a very tough situation. Um, I, I think you can ask anyone and get a different answer on this. I am still going with Mike Godwin or Mike Chris Godwin. Um, yeah, that's, that's one way of cheating. Just yeah, combine exactly. the names. <laughs> just kind of merge them all together. I'm going with Mike Godwin Brown. You know, is my top. <laughs> uh, but Chris Godwin, you know, I've always loved the compiling, which I still think he probably has the highest compiling floor of the three and. You know, not that anyone's Antonio Brown, but I mean, Chris Godwin comes to mind when you think of like young Antonio Browns. And I just think maybe I, of anyone I want to bet on him the most down the stretch. I can't tell really if Mike Evans is healthy. Um, this seems, it's a strange vibe with him this year. Maybe not moving super well, as well as we're used to seeing from him. And uh, I just basically, I don't know, Chris Godwin, we've just elite whenever he's healthy the past two years. Uh, Tom Brady is obsessed with Antonio Brown, though, but I think I'll just bet on the younger player, the player who compiles uh, with the best of them and definitely has the upside. Um, but whereas the Steelers, I feel like I can kind of give an answer. The Bucks, I feel like I just have a blindfold on, basically. All right, enough about receivers, then. Is DeAndre Swift here to stay as a fantasy RB1? I mean, the guy played a season-high 73% of the snaps last week, turned 21 touches into 149 yards and a touchdown. And that was after we got those reports on Sunday morning that he was going to finally be the starter. Now, we can't always trust that, but it at least makes us a little more confident when you hear that and then you see him go out and produce the way he did. But we still have Matt Patricia at the helm, and I can't help think that there's going to be some way that Patricia screws this over for us. I mean... I don't know that it would shock anybody if it turned right back into a committee this week, right? If you had Adrian Peterson go out and lead the way and you just go, oh, Matt Patricia, he does it again, right? What's your outlook for Swift? Do you think this is a guy who could potentially be maybe a top 12, top 15 running back the rest of the way with this kind of usage? Yeah, have him top 12 this week. Uh, as you alluded to, Matt Patricia is the kind of coach who can abandon a good plan on a dime, uh, which is, you know, not the kind of coach you want. And we want them to abandon the bad plans, uh, but... Matt Patricia seems like the kind of guy that for no reason whatsoever, yeah, we'll just give on Johnson like nine carries this week. But this kind of feels like the, not even Matt Patricia can ruin this, right? Um, but Adrian Peterson, ever since he had the, like the mysterious MRI like a month ago, we've seen the swift usage growing. It's been close to undeniable the past two weeks. Um, you know, Now he gets the Panthers' awful run defense. I believe only three teams allow more running back fantasy points. Uh, no team has allowed more running back receptions um, than the Panthers. And it just seems like the right matchup for DeAndre Swift to build off uh, the past two weeks. And famous last words, but it feels like to me that not even Matt Patricia can ruin this. 
Yeah, I'm a little sad because I traded Swift away in a deal a couple weeks back to get uh, DK Metcalf, but I, I also really want to see him be a, an RB1 <laughs> the rest of the way. I was really high on him. He was my top-ranked running back before things changed a little bit with the, the draft and the landing spots. Swift was my favorite prospect in that running Me back too, class. Me too, actually. So. And yeah, I'm I not much of a draft guru, but... When I watched uh, my DeAndre Swift film, quote unquote, meaning uh, like four or five YouTube cutups, um, he was definitely my favorite running back in the draft. <laughs> All right, a couple more questions before we let you go here. And this one's tough because it's Wednesday, so we're forced to speculate a little bit on who's going to be healthy for the game Thursday night. But in that Seahawks backfield, two weeks ago, it was DJ Dallas leading the way with Chris Carson and Carlos Hyde injured. This past Sunday, they turned to Alex Collins. Travis Homer got hurt in that game, so he's doubtful for week 11. And it's a short week here. They play on Thursday night, so I was actually surprised to see Hyde off the injury report. He's good to go this week. Carson was limited in practice. They listed him as questionable, but actually Pete Carroll came out and said after that even though he's questionable, he's unlikely to play in this game. So thank you for that, Pete Carroll. (laughs) They also have Tyler Lockett. I mean, the receiving core, Tyler Lockett's questionable here too. Carol gave us a little nod with him and said that he's likely going to play. A bunch of the beat writers said that Lockett looked really good in practice too. So feel pretty good about that one. Not concerned there, but focusing on this backfield, because I think this is the one that fantasy managers are trying to figure out. Maybe they could find some value here with what we know right now. And it is just about five o'clock Eastern on Wednesday. How are you approaching that Seahawks uh, running back core? I think so. I haven't had the chance to adjust the ranks. Uh, shout out to Denny Carter uh, since the news <laughs> came out. But I, I, just thinking about it while you were talking, I think I will probably put Carlos Hyde in the top 24, which, you know, God help me. But it's not a short week for Carlos Hyde. So, you know, that's the good news. Uh, he's been out very true you know, for two or three weeks. So hopefully he'll be well rested. And, you know, just such disappointing production. You know, from each of DJ Dallas, Travis Homer, Alex Collins, uh, they need something to solidify the running game. You know, especially with the passing games under so much pressure. You know, uh, with seven turnovers from Russell Wilson over the past two weeks, which, you know, what happens when your defense, uh, you know, leaves you no margin for error when your running game is not a viable fallback. Uh, they actually, as, as crazy as it is, like they actually do kind of need to reestablish the run a little bit. I feel like, and uh, in a game with. You know, the over-under are currently 57 and a half. That's one of the highest of the season. And just like, so even if they don't establish the run, quote-unquote, there's going to be drives to finish in this game. And I think it'll be Carlos Hyde. And Chris Carson plays. I mean, God help us. I have no idea what I'm going to do. But I think Chris Carson will sit. And I I just think they need a running back badly enough that I'm going to feel comfortable putting Carlos Hyde in that the low end RB two range and just kind of rolling with it and just ignoring all the guys who are mixing in for touches the past two or three weeks. All right. I feel about the same there. Yeah. I think I'm going to put Hyde in that top 24. Yeah, I should have, cause you are the master. Uh, so hopefully you agree with that. If you don't, I'm just going to immediately copy off whatever you say. and like, well, <laughs> Well, Justin basically, whoever's been starting 24. for the Seahawks, I've ended up kind of putting in that range as like a low end RB2, you know, that high end RB3. And it's been a little tricky. I mean, I didn't project that Alex Collins would be the one leading the way last week. So, you know, you can't look at me for all the answers here. <laughs> but I think that Carlos Hyde, with the way they're talking about him, with him getting in full practices, you could feel pretty good about him getting back out there and being the guy. And, and like I said, thankfully, Pete Carroll is kind of telling us that. 
Chris Carson probably isn't going to play. Now, it's possible that they switch that up and, hey, we get a report that, you know, he's actually feeling great on Thursday and he's going to be <laughs> out there and it was all gamesmanship. But uh, I think I think Hyde's going to be the guy this week. We've almost made it to the end here. We got one final question and we've asked you this each of the times you've been on the podcast because you've always come on for these weekly preview episodes during the season. But which players are being overlooked in week 11? Could be one player, could be many I will let you go first unless you need me to buy some time for you to think of somebody. (laughs) (laughs) No, I've had answers. I just don't know if they're great. Uh, I always feel like I bring very disappointing answers. But that's the thing with this question that I love is (laughs) it's almost guys that aren't getting respected enough. So it could be guys that are near the top. It could be guys that are completely overlooked and like way off the radar. It kind of covers like a wide variety. It's just like a an open-ended question to let you talk about whoever you want to talk about pretty much. <laughs> I keep, I'm using this phrase too much, but God help me. The first person who I jumped out to me when I was looking through the rankings uh, was Logan Thomas, who has been such a fantasy tease, you know, all year. But he has reestablished his floor with Alex Smith, where now he's catching four or five passes a week again. You know, a team that is going to throw a lot and throw short a lot. And now he's playing uh, He's playing the Bengals this week, who are allowing the second most uh, tight end fantasy points. And just, you know, it's a position where, like, after, like, the top six or seven, you're almost guessing. I feel like Logan Thomas could go overlooked as, like, a tight end one this week. I don't even have him ranked. I have him, I think, ranked as a tight end 13. So right there. But maybe someone who it might finally happen for Logan Thomas this week. Um Another guy who I, I don't know if this is a, a good answer at all, but I mean, Cam Newton is playing the worst rushing defense in the NFL. Um, and I didn't game out like the splits between you know, the, the rushing yardage they're allowing to running backs and quarterbacks. But, you know, especially now with Damian Harris generating a lot of fantasy hype, I feel like, uh, you know, people still fixate on Cam Newton's passing production not being super great. I have Cam Newton ranked as a, a low end QB1 this week. We're just. I think this is not that people think the Texans are a bad matchup for Cam Newton. Maybe people just don't realize like how good of a match, like his strengths, like perfectly aligned with their weaknesses um, this week. And Cam, this looks like a rock solid QB one to me this week. And the, another guy who he's not really, I don't think he's going under the radar this week, but I don't know if people have caught up to like T Higgins as uh, I me mean, to me, almost becoming a wide receiver one. I don't know if you necessarily he's, agree he's with that. He's not far off. I mean, he's a, a very, very solid wide receiver, too, at this point. And I still see people ranking Tyler Boyd over him, but I feel like the ceiling for Higgins is so much higher that I want to keep moving him above Boyd as the top guy in that offense now. Yeah, because he's had so he, he's the wide receiver nine by average points in a half PPR over the past five weeks. I mean, I know I just gave like a billion caveats there, <laughs> um, but he's caught at least six passes three of the past four weeks. The fourth week he caught five. He's drawn at least eight targets three of the past four weeks. Uh, I think he's had two hundred yard games mixed in there. So a guy who like kind of quickly established a floor and is now establishing a ceiling. I just think maybe. People, the rankings haven't really quite caught up to T. Higgins' production. And to me, he's like a very solid wide receiver, too, who is almost pushing for low-end uh, wide receiver one value at this point. Yeah, like he's almost the definition of a buy-high even, right? A guy that yeah. people kind of know he's playing well, but they don't realize how well he's playing. And I've mentioned guys like that in this section before. I, I think it totally fits. Uh, I want to go back quickly for a couple of mine here. I want to go back to the Patriots because you mentioned Cam. I think when you're looking at, they are just going to destroy that Texans defense. (laughs) I mean, on the ground, Texans are allowing the second most 
fantasy points to running backs, including 95 rushing yards or more to seven different runners this year. So obviously Damian Harris. I mean, if Sony Michelle comes back and is active, then that could complicate things a little bit. But Rex Burkhead can get in there as a flex play. He's been putting up some stats. So I like as normally we we kind of shy away from the Patriots backfield. But I actually like those guys this week. I'd be playing probably as many of them as you can. Yeah, I guess the only concern for Damian and Rex would be my boy Cam uh, stealing all the touchdowns. But uh, Maybe they score yeah. four or five. Who knows? Anything yeah. could go in that game. <laughs> so you see uh, they, the usage Damian Harris and Rex Burkhead had against the Ravens, and they uh, apply that usage to the Texans. Yeah, you were 100% right that uh, they're gonna, just going to go totally wild. I got a couple more here. Uh, Mike Williams had a quiet day last week against the Dolphins. That's a tough matchup, but the outlook this week just much better. Jets traveling cross country to take on the Chargers. And before last week, don't forget that Williams had over 80 yards in three of his previous four outings, had three touchdowns during that stretch. So I would look for Justin Herbert and that pass offense to get back on track. And we don't need to talk about his haircut at all here, regardless (laughs) of what his hair looks like. He is going to have a good game this week. We'll keep an eye out on the weather in Cleveland, but as long as it's not another win bowl, (laughs) Jalen Rager is going to be very interesting in week 11. He led the Eagles in targets over his last two games since he came back from IR. He played on a season-high 88% of the snaps last week, which tied Travis Fulgham for the team lead in that game. So we could see Rager emerge as really the best receiver in Philly moving forward, and he's still available in 75% of leagues. So go and pick him up right now if he's still out there. Also, I'll shout out another rookie, KJ Hamler, 10 targets in each of his last two games. Might be tough for him with the remaining schedule that the Broncos have, which it starts with the Dolphins this week. And I just mentioned with Mike Williams that the Dolphins are a pretty tough matchup there for passing attacks. But he could also have, when we're talking about Hamler, could have a backup in Brett Rippon starting with Drew Lockhart right now. So that might complicate things for him a little bit this week, but he's a guy that you should really keep your eye on. I mean, 10 targets in back-to-back games, that has to be noted. And then I'll give a tight end too. You threw a tight end out there, and maybe this one is a little obvious, but Austin Hooper, this one is happening for sure. I don't care. As long as the weather allows it finally. I mean, he didn't do much last week, but it was because of that wind. I'm I'm certain of that. Hooper is going to see a big target share going forward. I've talked about all the reasons why in the last few weeks in the podcast, so I don't need to go too in-depth here, but OBJ out, the team favoring tight ends. Hooper saw 23 targets during his three games before that appendectomy, so I think you could treat him as a tight end one, especially going up against the Eagles this week, who are one of the five best matchups for fantasy tight ends this year. Yeah, I loved your answers. Yeah, seriously, when did Cleveland, I mean, I know it's not known for good weather, but it's not known for having the worst weather in North America. Well, and three Uh, straight home games during this stretch that just makes it every single week a problem here, yeah. I know, it's only November, I mean, maybe in December, I mean, come on, Lake Erie, come on, Cleveland, get it together. Uh, But yeah, I love the Jalen Rager answer, too. He's kind of like this week's Michael Pittman, or Michael Pittman, I was trying to get added to as many rosters as I could before last week, uh, you know, pat myself on the back. I'm just, you know, I'm not, I have, I'm running away with all my leagues. I make nothing but good decisions. Um, but yeah, Jalen Rager definitely kind of has that feel where uh, a, a guy that we were hyped about before the season, you know, it's an obvious need. And then he's percolating. I totally, I loved all your answers, but especially Jalen Rager, he, he feels like, yeah, he's about to pop to me. 
When I will say last I checked, it looked like maybe a little bit of rain, but not too much wind. At least not what we've dealt with the last please. few games there. So Yes, please no. <laughs> um. <laughs> on that note, that is all for today's show. Make sure you're following Pat on Twitter, at RotoPat. One of the best fantasy accounts out there. Pat, thank you again for doing this, man. We always love having you on. Anything you want to mention before we get you out of here? Anything you're working on? Truly my pleasure always to just check out my rank. I have the only rankings article in the game. Um, still <laughs> the only guy to rank players. No, but I mean, my rankings come out Thursdays. I do a live uh, video chat every Friday. Rota World, we do a, I mean, this probably competes with you guys. You guys probably have a show too. We do a Sunday morning show at noon Eastern. Uh, so Sunday afternoon, actually technically, but yeah, just uh, do all my, my normal weekly content. Please check it out. And uh, yeah, I always love coming on the pod. It was my pleasure. Awesome. Well, we do have a rival Friday show. We actually haven't been able to do it the last two weeks for a variety of reasons, but barring anything crazy happening this week, should be all systems go. So keep an eye out on Twitter. I'll be sending out the call for questions Thursday night, Friday morning, and then we'll go live Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern. Until then, though, big thanks again to Pat. Big thanks to everybody out there for listening, and we will see you next time. Said leave on time, my baby said leave on time. Leave on time with me